It seems like the world has an ongoing fascination with scams and scammers. Lots of us tuned into the dueling documentaries about Firefest, the luxury music festival that never was. Or there was the podcast called The Dropout about the fraudulent claims that Elizabeth Holmes made about her blood testing technology and doomed company Theranos. People are captivated by a scheme and its con men or women. Perhaps we want to revel in the takedown of the grifter and vindication of the scam. Or perhaps we enjoy marveling at the sheer audacity of a doomed and oftentimes misguided effort. It's going to take longer than this podcast to get to the root of interest in a scam, and frankly, we don't have the time, because an annual con called the Dirty Dozen List has come out again. Yes, it's that time of year when the Environmental Working Group, or EWG, publishes its infamous Dirty Dozen List. They claim that they are guiding customers about which foods are most important to buy organic to avoid pesticide residues, referring to mostly fruits and vegetables. The group comes up with their rankings supposedly based on the published results of the USDA's pesticide data program. In fact, what the EWG's list does is to grossly misinterpret that great example of transparent public information. The USDA data in question here actually documents the fact that consumers don't need to worry about pesticide residues because they are only present at extremely low levels that are of no concern for our health. Indeed, health and dietary experts agree that one of the best things we can all do for our health is to confidently enjoy healthful foods, and the last thing that we should do is to hesitate to eat any fruits or vegetables because of the propaganda from EWG. There's a great website called Safe Fruits and Veggies that provides a lot of good links on this topic and has a calculator you can use to visualize the absurd amounts of produce you would have to eat to ever see any health effect from the residues. In another episode called Dirty Marketing, I explained why the analysis by the EWG is so flawed and why none of our food deserves to be called dirty in this regard. In the whole scheme of things, the only thing that is dirty is the EWG's fear-based campaigning on behalf of their big organic sources of funding. So let's talk about the good news, starting with this thing called the Pesticide Data Program, or PDP. Each year, scientists from the USDA make visits to commercial food channels and collect more than 10,000 samples of food. They focus on 20 or so crops each year, but they periodically cover most major commodities, particularly fruits and vegetables. The latest available data is from 2017, and it covered applesauce, asparagus, fresh and frozen cranberries, cabbage, cucumbers, grapefruit, kale greens, honey, lettuce, mangoes, milk, canned olives, prunes, snap peas, sweet potatoes, and garbanzo beans. The scientists take the foods back to the lab, wash, peel, and otherwise handle as normal, and then test for chemical residues. The results are then published in several forms, including a high-level fact sheet, and then a detailed 200-plus page report. They also make available the raw data so that others can analyze it. Each year, I like to take advantage of that transparency, although it's quite a challenge to crunch the two-million-row main table, which is mostly entries saying, nope, didn't find it. So what the USDA provides each year 
are three key pieces of information about what they find in the way of chemical pesticide residues. The first concerns which specific chemicals are detected. The second part is at what concentration the chemicals were found. And the third and very important bit of information is how the detections compare to something called a tolerance. For every crop and every pesticide approved for use on that crop, the Environmental Protection Agency, or EPA, identifies an allowable level of chemical residue for which it can confidently confirm there are no health risks. It is a conservative threshold based on elaborate risk assessment, reflecting everything that is known about that chemical from many toxicological evaluations. If a chemical residue is present at the tolerance, it's safe by a factor of around 100. Any lower level is of even less concern. Now, what the EWG does with this data is to treat any residue detected as a problem, essentially ignoring the dose and how that compares to the relevant tolerance. Ignoring that critical comparison is what makes the dirty dozen list so misleading. So getting back to what the data really says, one thing that can make this a little challenging to understand is that the numbers we're talking about here are extremely small. There are some tiny things that we can sort of understand because we can see them thanks to the power of microscopes. For example, the Pinterest page for microscopic and tiny things has a solid following and a pretty cool collection of images. However, I think that very small numbers are harder to visualize. You probably remember from school learning about scientific notation as a way to do the math with either really big or really small numbers. It might have helped you get the right answers on a test, but I'm not sure scientific notation really helps us understand either extremely large or extremely small numbers. Brilliant.org has a whole webpage about that issue. Now, when it comes to chemical concentrations, we're often talking about values in the range of parts per billion. What does that look like? Well, here's one way to try to imagine such tiny numbers. Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix is a really long but popular book. It has 257,045 words. Now, imagine that you have a shelf holding 3,890 copies of that thick book, so that all told, you could be looking at a billion words. Now, that shelf would need to be 324 feet long, longer than a football field. Now, imagine that you read just 10 of the words in one of the books. You would have seen 10 parts out of a billion words, and that's sort of analogous to the level of chemical residues found on food. Last December, the USDA PDP posted its analysis of the more than 10,000 food samples from 2017. For 53% of those samples, there were no detectable residues at all, and only five samples had any residue concentrations over the tolerance. That means 0.04% of all the residues that were found. Even those five were only marginally higher and thus of little concern because the tolerance already has that uh, 100-fold safety margin built in. 2% of the samples had minute detections of chemicals for which there is not a specific residue tolerance for the crop in question. But they were not of concern according to the regulators. Essentially, nothing here to worry about. But not only are the residues officially below tolerance, most are far below it. Only 1.7% were in the range 1 to 20 times lower than the tolerance, 9% were 20 to 100 times lower, 
and 32% were 100 to 1,000 times lower. The biggest category of detections, 44%, were 100 to 1,000 times lower than the tolerance, and 8% of the detected residues were more than 10,000 times lower than the tolerance. So what the data really says is that the crops tested in 2017 were remarkably clean. So again, when the EWG does its own interpretation of the data and treats all those detections the same, it's ignoring how incredibly low those detections are, and it's disregarding the EPA's science around tolerances. The very fact that these tiny amounts can even be identified says much more about the remarkable skills of chemists than anything else. Now, you might still be thinking, okay, but wouldn't it be better just to have no exposure to residues at all? Well, realistically, that isn't an option. EWG cons many consumers to believe that by buying organic, you simply avoid residues. And that isn't true. Organic farmers can and do use pesticides while growing their crops. They generally use natural pesticides, but those are still chemicals that must be regulated by the EPA and their toxicity overlaps with the various synthetic chemicals. The USDA does not even test for quite a few of the most extensively used organic-approved pesticides. So again, organic does not mean no pesticides, but what is a bit surprising is that it also does not mean no residues of synthetic pesticides. As has been seen year after year with the PDP data and in other testing examples, Synthetic pesticide residues are definitely detected on samples that are being sold as organic. For instance, a big study conducted by the Canadian Food Inspection Agency in 2014 found residues on 46% of the organic samples they tested. And in that 2017 USDA study, there were 622 organic samples. And a total of 302 residues were detected on those foods representing 55 different pesticides. These 2017 detections of chemicals on organic were in that same parts per billion range I described. So again, there isn't a safety concern. All it means that there isn't the sort of black and white difference that many people imagine between the residues on organic and non-organic foods. Now there's an allowance in the USDA organic program rules stating that if a synthetic pesticide residue is detected on an organic product, If the level is 5% or less of the EPA tolerance, it is considered unintentional and thus not a violation of the organic certification standard. Now, this PDP testing isn't about organic rule enforcement, but there is a separate set of tests that are performed to check for compliance with the rules, and the 5% threshold would be applied for that. Now, of the samples coming from U.S. organic farmers in 2017, 99.2% would have met the 5% or less standard, and only 0.8% would be in the no tolerance for that crop situation or falling in that range of 1 to 20 times lower than tolerance. For organic imports, 98.4% met the 5 standard. But what is interesting is that 96.3% of the conventional samples grown by U.S. farmers would also have qualified if they had been organic samples being tested for compliance and 94.1% of the imported conventional samples would also have met that standard. For applesauce, fresh and frozen cranberries, honey, lettuce, milk, canned olives, prunes, canned tomatoes, and garbanzo beans, all of the conventional 2017 samples would have qualified by that 5% rule for organic. Since the conventional items are typically less costly, 
Does it really make sense to spend more than needed around this issue or to hesitate to buy and enjoy these foods? So to sum it up, USDA data for 2017 once again shows us that our food supply is safe when it comes to the issue of pesticide residues. Yes, there are tiny amounts of chemicals that can be detected by skilled chemists, but they are mostly hundreds to thousands to tens of thousands times lower than even a conservative tolerance level. Pesticide residues are also detected on organic product samples, but almost all at levels that would not technically disqualify the food as organic. But again, the same is true for almost all of the conventional samples. The bottom line is that we should reject the kind of fear-mongering that's associated with the EWG's yearly Dirty Dozen list and just make sure that our shopping list includes lots of healthy fruits and vegetables. You can follow me on Twitter at GrapeDoc, at G-R-A-P-E-D-O-C, and visit my blog at www.popagriculture.com.